And if you have your Bibles, let's begin in Revelation chapter number 3, verse 11, and then we'll jump to our text in 1 Samuel. Hallelujah. Amen. Revelation 3 and verse 11. These are the words of Jesus to the church at Philadelphia. They were a good church. They were a faithful church. But the Lord wanted them to finish their race. Amen. They were good. They were good. They, they, they were a good church. They were a blessed church. But yet he still had to exhort them. He said, I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have. So that no one will take your crown. Now if you would let us go to 1 Samuel 16. And we'll begin with verse 13. We'll begin with verse 13. The Bible says, So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed David in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on the Spirit of the Lord came upon David in power And Samuel went on to Ramah. Now the Spirit of the Lord had departed from Saul, and an evil spirit from the Lord tormented, oppressed him. Saul's attendant said to him, See, an evil spirit from God is tormenting you. Let let our Lord command his servants here to search for someone who can play the harp, and he will play when the evil spirit from God comes upon you, and, and you'll feel better. So Saul said to his attendants, Find someone who plays well and bring him to me. And one of the servants answered, I have seen the son of Jesse of Bethlehem, who knows how to play the harp. He's a brave man and he's a warrior. He speaks well and he's a fine-looking man and the Lord is with him. And now verse 23, Whenever the Spirit from God came upon Saul, David would take his harp and play and then relief would come to Saul. And he would feel better and the evil spirit would leave him. We want to spend about three weeks looking at the topic, Saul's moods and David's music. Saul's moods and David's music. Father, we thank you for your word. We pray you give us ears to hear, hearts to receive, that we might take this word, apply it and live it in Jesus' name. And everyone said, you see, when God rejected Saul, the first king of Israel, He allowed an evil spirit to really harass him and torment him. And that led to a suggestion that a skillful musician come to soothe the king's spirits. And that kind of opens the door for David to get a lot of the training that he's going to need down the road to be king. It gave him access and education to the court he wouldn't have got otherwise. And the exposure of things that would help him later on as he became king and walked out his anointing. So we want to break up our text into three main thoughts, and we'll probably take them week by week. But number one, we want to talk about the intruding spirit, the intruding spirit. And we see that in verses 14 and 15. And this is really, this is a warning. This is a warning to every one of us. It's a warning from the life of Israel's first king, King Saul. Because King Saul, he lost his crown. He lost his crown. And he started out so good. If you study earlier on in the first Samuel, if you study the the chapters that have to do with Saul, he started out so good and then he fell so low. We learn that you can't escape unscathed and unaffected when you choose to live a life of disobedience and excuses with God. We learn that it is possible to forfeit spiritual privilege and lose spiritual passion and power in life when we are careless and negligent in our devotions and in our walk with God. 
I love you if you're within the sound of my voice, but you mark this down, you pass it on down, parents. Don't let this present world steal your eternal crown. Can you say amen? There's a warning, but then the second point is a revelation. It's a teaching. It's something that God wants us to understand. And that is the interesting suggestion. We see that in verses 15 and 16. And here we'll expound on the precious truth that music does minister and there is power in our praise. There is something blessed, something beneficial that takes place where God's people truly enter into sincere praise and worship unto the Lord. He draws near to it. He receives it. He responds to it. And the results are beautiful and eternal. And then lastly, number three, the inspired selection. The inspired selection. Verse 18, of course, that's David and how the Lord is with him. Man, all those wonderful talents. The most important one, the Lord was with him. Amen? If you don't have all those other things, make sure at least the Lord is with you. And David, in this this one verse, reveals a whole lot uh, about um, this man after God's own heart. And we're going to dig into um, this these characteristics in a couple of weeks. But let's remember that throughout this short series, we'll be looking, hopefully, looking and learning from both of these men. And as far as David goes, he winds up being the instrument of God's deliverance in this story. And the Lord wants all of us to remember that like He used David, He desires to use us in this present world. He desires to use us for we are His anointed and we are His vessels and we are His instruments that He wants to use to, to, to flow through and to speak through and to touch through, to lift people up and to bring hope to people that are oppressed and um, um, impart grace and life to those that are discouraged. And Lord, help us to be such an instrument. Number one, let's begin the intruding spirit. We're looking at verses 14 and 15. Now the Spirit of the Lord had departed from Saul. And an evil spirit from the Lord tormented him. God allowed an evil spirit to harass him. At various times, it would just overwhelm him. You know, if you reject God's spirit, you'll you'll get another spirit. They're they're, they're out there. And the Lord allowed it. In verse 15, Saul's attendant said to him, See, an evil spirit from God is tormenting you. And and again, as we get deeper into it, um, well, we'll leave that for now. But number one, let's look at Saul's rejection and Saul's affliction. Saul's rejection... In Saul's affliction, something happened to Saul that changed him. Again, he started out so good if we read the story. Naturally, the Bible describes him as head and shoulders above the rest. That's pretty good. He was a natural born leader. He was the one that if you saw a crowd, you'd say, that's the one. That's, you can't miss it. Everyone follows him. He's strong. He's, oh, he's got everything going for him. Naturally, he was gifted. He came from a prominent family in the area. Spiritually, he was chosen and anointed by God. Experientially, he knew God. He knew the power of God upon his life. And he began by bringing Israel great victories. He began by seeing the anointing come upon him. And he did things that is impossible to do unless the Spirit of God is upon you. But something happened. Again, it's not how a person starts. It's how they finish that ultimately matters. Something happened. He had failed to obey God's commands again and again. There was a partial, selective obedience. On one time, in particular, God sent him on a mission to totally destroy the Amalekites. They had attacked Israel when Israel was coming out of Egypt. They had slaughtered the, 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 the old and the lame and the young. 
And God swore years and years ago, He says, judgment will come on them. Judgment will come. And the time had come, and God said, now you're my king, carry out this divine judgment upon this people. I want you to take everything they get and just obliterate it. Well, He just obliterated part of it and kept some of the other things. And um, let's put it like this. He took God's Word and interpreted it in a way that would benefit Himself. We call that convenient interpretation. How many know a lot of people like to interpret their Bibles that way? Convenient interpretation, but the Lord wasn't pleased with it. The Lord wasn't pleased at all. And when God sent the prophet Samuel to confront Saul about it, to confront him about this disobedience, the king just started lying and making up excuses. He tried to sweep the whole thing under the rug. He even offered... This was big of him. He even offered some lambs to God. Lambs that he was supposed to have killed. And now he's going to give God. How many of you know you can't buy God off? Can you say amen? Man, you can humble your heart and God will forgive you. You can turn with a sincere godly sorrow and God will wash you in the precious blood of Jesus. He'll give you a fresh start. But you can't buy God off and your arms are too short to box with God. Can you say amen? Oh, Lord, have mercy. And this, from this instant, is where we get that very um, familiar verse and lesson from 1 Samuel 15, verse 22. Who we're taught to obey is better than sacrifice. Samuel replies to this king Saul, Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the voice of the Lord? God said, do this and that. He just did what he felt like doing. He conveniently disobeyed God, and then he tried to sweep it under the rug by saying, listen, I'll throw another dollar in the, in the, you know, in the pot. And that prophet looked at him and says, listen, does the Lord delight in burnt offerings as much as in obeying His voice? To obey. That's what God wants from every one of us. Amen. To obey is better than sacrifice. And to heed, to pay attention, to give God our attention and obedience is better than the fat of rams or the greatest of our sacrifices. But because of Saul's disobedience, the Lord rejected him as king. And that's where we find the verse that we really began, verse 14. It says, Now the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul. And an evil spirit from the Lord was allowed to trouble him and torment him. Now, this first point, admittedly, it is not going to cause us, or hopefully it doesn't cause us, to run the aisles. Now, hopefully, point two, the power of praise. That might stir a couple of, uh, no, I was going to say bumps in the log. That might stir a couple of uh, people to get going, but no, 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 no. But let me explain one thing. It would be spiritually irresponsible. Just to go around these stories and these truths from the sacred text. It would be spiritual negligence and malpractice for any preacher to conveniently ignore the loving warnings that our Heavenly Father has chosen to record for us from the life of Israel's first king, King Saul. 
You know, we've told that story before and it bears repeating. So again, if I repeat a story, just make believe it's the first time you heard it. It'll help us all out. But it's that story about the college team that decided they needed a mascot. Amen? And so they decided to get a goat. A goat's a good college mascot for a football team. And they had to figure out where we're going to keep the goat. And two guys said, well, the goat can stay with us in our dorm room. And, you know, and then the, the administrator of the school heard about that. And he confronts the two guys. And he says, hey, what's this I hear? You got a goat in your dorm room. Yes, sir, we do. We got to keep him somewhere. And the administrator says, well, what about the smell? And one guy replies, the goat won't mind. The goat won't mind. <laughs> some people, <laughs> some people like Saul and Samuel, Saul and Samson, Saul and Samson, they, they, they kind of um, misinterpret God's patience for God's allowance. As if just because God's not quickly judging something, it must be okay to live this way. Oh no, it's not right at all. And God never gets used to the stench of sin and disobedience. And the devil and the carnal flesh tries to make the backslider interpret that as God must not really care. God cares. If it's not in line with that book, God cares. It don't matter what you do, how much you give, how long you've been a member of a church. If you disobey the clear black and white, He cares, He cares. And it's only His mercy, He didn't judge you sooner. Say amen. King Saul misinterpreted God's patience for God's acceptance. And he lost his crown. Instead of seeing God's patience as an opportunity for repentance and making it right, he just took it as a sign, I'm different, and I can get away with it. Oh, Lord, help us. King Saul, number one, King Saul was unsuitable. That means unfit. If we study his life, he was disobedient to God's Word. He was um, unwilling to take responsibility for his own actions. And ultimately, he wasn't one that was quick to give glory to God. He really never did. So therefore, the Almighty deemed him unfit for service. God had determined that Saul was unfit for fulfilling God's purpose for his life. He was not a man after God's own heart. King Saul was not a spiritual man, never was. In fact, at one point in his life, the prophet Samuel is basically up all night weeping and crying because God had just told the prophet, Saul's out of here. I'm done with him. I'm rejecting him. I found a man after my own heart that'll love what I love, hate what I hate, and will live wholeheartedly for me and not for himself. I got a new king and a new lineage is going to start. And, and here the prophet Samuel's weeping. He's broken. And, and at this time where God is decreeing, you're done. You know what Saul's doing? Really, in the Bible, he was building a monument to himself. Can you say out of touch? He's so out of touch with what's going on that he is so backslidden that God is rejecting him and his whole family. Yet he is so out of touch with God, he thinks everything's just fine. Oh, my Lord. And he's literally building a monument to glory be to me. I mean God. To himself, the Bible says. God considered him. Unfit. Stuart Briscoe writes, any leader, a leader, any leader must come to grips with the fact that he will not lead people beyond where he himself is. 
when a spiritual leader is not or is unwilling to get where God requires him to be, God has the right of removal. And God can declare him unfit for service. You see, this thought is even in our New Testament. We see how the Apostle Paul understood this. How in 1 Corinthians 9, he he was concerned about this in his own ministry. Where Paul, using the analogy of the um, athlete training for the ancient Olympic Games, knowing that discipline, knowing that dedication are absolutely necessary to achieve victory and to receive that crown, 1 Corinthians 9, 24-27, Paul, he disciplines himself so he wouldn't be disqualified from the prize. And it's something every one of us has to do if we are going to keep the crown and we are going to finish strong. We have to discipline ourselves so no one else will have to. Don't lose what really matters. But because Saul was unsuitable, Saul became unusable. Sometimes God looks at people and just says, I like you, but I can't use you. I love you, I died for you, I can't use you, you don't listen to me. Or you won't give me your best, so I like you. And some of you are going to make it in, but you're not going to be able to do what I wanted you to do and bless those I've called you to bless. He was unfit, therefore he became unusable. Because he didn't have a heart for God, and therefore he lost the touch of God. We've all known people, we can look back and say, man, they used to have a heart for God, and man, there was a touch of God on them. And now they're a shell of themselves. Saul became a shell of what he used to be. They might still be able to walk, they might still be able to talk, but they're empty, and God is somehow withdrawn. The kingly vision, the kingly passion and heart that Saul one time had, it had, it had begun and finally it disappeared. He lost his cutting edge. And you know, you can lose the cutting edge. I can lose the cutting edge. That's why Paul, when he writes to his young son in the faith, Timothy, he says, Timothy, you've got to stir up that gift. You've got to keep the fire of God's Spirit ablaze in your life. Don't, you can't run on fumes, Timothy. You've got to feed your faith. You've got to stir up that gift within you. You've got to stay strong in your spirit. Don't run on fumes, Timothy. Don't just go through the motions of religion, but stay clean in your walk. Stay filled and fervent in your spirit. Stay in step with God that you might be His vessel, that you might carry out His plan, that you won't lose your crown, but you'll achieve and accomplish that for which God had called you and sent you. Oh, friends, God desires to use everyone within the sound of my voice in wonderful, wonderful ways. But we've got to be yielded vessels. We've got to put in first. We just cannot go through things playing games and giving God second place, third place, if anything else doesn't get too busy. But oh, if we give Him our very best, He'll use us and He'll bless us. And it's amazing what the Lord can do through a life yielded to His will. Can you say amen? King Saul, King Saul. You see, here, outwardly, he's still royalty. And the interesting thing is, he's going to go a good decade, maybe 20 years, of still being king, but rejected of God. He still has the outward apparel. He's still going through the motions as king. Terrible thing to still be in that office. And God's withdrawn the hand of blessing. Outwardly, he was still royalty. But inwardly, he lost the passion and the anointing, and the courage, and the enabling. 
That's why when Goliath shows up, Saul's hiding with the rest of the cowards. Where earlier on, the Spirit would have come upon him. And David never would have been needed. Saul would have taken care of that giant like he had taken care of others. He was a shell of the man he once was. And of course, it didn't have to end the way it did. God in His mercy sent His prophet again and again. God allowed circumstances to hopefully speak to him, to awaken him, but nothing. But nothing because Saul was unsuitable. He became unusable. And it's all because he was immovable in his heart. You see, Saul was unusable in God's service because Saul was immovable in his heart. A major difference between Saul and David David knew how to really repent and seek the forgiveness of God. Saul never, never would take ownership and responsibility when he had messed up and when the prophet had called him out on it. And let's be honest, God, the God we serve, He's full of mercy. He's full of compassion. He's full of kindness. And He is willing, He is so willing to forgive. He's so willing to restore any life that will really come to Him in sincerity. But my friend, don't ever try the patience of God. Don't ever abuse His grace. Don't ever make light of the mercies of heaven. Learn from Saul and learn from Samson. And learn from Cain and learn from Lot and learn from Demas. King Saul lost his crown. He was disqualified. From his holy office. For he refused to take ownership. Responsibility for his actions. He, he tried to fight with God. Oh friend, don't fight with God. If the Lord's speaking, you just say, yes Lord. If God is dealing with an area, lay down and say, have your way, oh God. If God is beginning to convict, or if God is beginning to speak, don't turn him off. Respond to his mercy. Respond to his grace. Saul refused to respond to the call of God to change and consider your ways. You know, in our society, in our culture, in this fallen world in which we live, it fosters this attitude. It rejects biblical authority. It justifies crazy, sinful behaviors. It blames everyone else for actions and results. But one clear sign, and never forget this, one clear sign, of a man or woman after God's own heart, is they know how to say, Lord, I'm sorry. Lord, please forgive me. Lord, I did it, and I want to be cleansed from it, and I'm willing to turn from it. It's not my mother nor my brother, but it's me, O oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. Therefore, create in me a clean heart, O oh God, and renew a right spirit within me. That's what heaven's waiting to hear. That, that's music to heaven's ears. That's what begins to release the, the, the cleansing of forgiveness and the lifting up of burdens and lifting up from condemnation. That's what begins to begin the restoration process from the hand of God and the new beginning that comes as the Spirit of God breathes upon a life that has been broken and surrendered. Oh, that's when God can do His work of restoration and reviving those that have broken and those that strayed. But King Saul, may his life always remind us, King Saul had been given a very special calling, a very special empowerment for his job. But 
when he rejected God and refused repeatedly, again and again, years, but he refused the call and the hand of God's mercy, the Lord withdrew, took away the anointing, and in place allowed him to be affected and afflicted and harassed. But even that was God's mercy trying to get this king to finally realize I've got to make things right with God. My trouble is not with the enemy. The enemy can't touch me when I'm right with God. The the trouble is not um, this one and that one and all these other. No, no, the trouble is i got to get my heart right with God. And from there, I can begin to walk in His grace and in His favor as He desires for me to be. Number one, the intruding spirit. Number two, the interesting suggestion. And we'll just do part of this next week. We'll, we'll fill our thing. The interesting suggestion. Look, if you would, at, at verse um, 16. Verse 16. Because of this evil spirit that God was allowing to afflict Saul, they said, let's um, let our Lord command His servants to search for someone who can play the harp. He will play when the evil spirit from God comes upon you. And you'll feel better. You'll be soothed. You'll be ministered to. Now next week, we want to expand and go deeper with this thought, seeing from the Scripture how the Lord really uses His music, praise, worship to minister. How anointed music does minister both to God and to man. You know, I came across a a, a thought by Tony Evans And he used it in the context of prayer, but it's easy enough to switch in praise. And Dr. Evans writes, For many of us, prayer or praise is like the the national anthem before a football game. It gets the game started, but simply has no connection with what's happening on the field. It's a courtesy. But as we study the Word of God, and as we look at not what tradition says, regardless of whose tradition is, but what the Bible says, we will recognize without a doubt our praise has a marvelous connection. Our praise and worship has a powerful effect and influence on what's happening in one's life. It's how God ordained it to be. You see, music is a powerful tool. And if our purpose is to glorify God, which it is, then one of the ways that we do this was through the praise and worship of our song, of our music. There is both personally and corporately powerful, a powerful ministry that music has. There's power in the anointed music that glorifies God, that encourages the people of God, that disperses and defeats the enemies of God. And next week we want to see how the music that is glorifying to God, how it is like a weapon in our warfare, how it is an instrument in our ministry, how it is like a thermostat or it affects the climate in which we live. Next week, we'll look at how it's a weapon of our warfare. You know, the Bible tells us clearly that that we are in a spiritual warfare as believers. And the weapons we have aren't the human things, but they're spiritual weapons. And praise and worship, it's one of the marvelous weapons that God has given us in order to defeat the enemy, in order to disperse him. There's power and praise that breaks heaviness. 
There's power and praise that disperses darkness, that rolls back spirits of confusion and assaults the enemy. Man, just like a machine gun would assault it. The Isaiah 63 and 1, put on the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. When heaviness wants to come down and consume you, begin to praise the Lord. Begin to lift up the name of Jesus. And in that power, it disperses it. It attacks it. Darkness is rolled back. There's something happens in the spiritual realm. Jesus said, when I be lifted up, my Lord, <laughs> wonderful things happen. When we dare to praise Him, it could be in the prison in the midnight hour, but when you praise Him through the pain, praise Him regardless of the circumstance, something glorious happens. Because God ministers. God receives it. God responds to it. And when the Lord comes and He's happy with His people, breakthroughs come, deliverance comes, the dispersion comes. Can you say amen? We're going to see and we're going to dig into it next week how it is a weapon of our warfare. And we'll see throughout the Scripture times. Sometimes one time, one king just sent the praisers out. Outnumbered three to one. And he didn't send out the seals. He said, just let the worship team go. Can you imagine that? Then you see who really wants to be on the worship team. Ha, ha, ha. No, no, you're not going to follow the tanks after the tanks blow them up. You're going to go out there first and you're outnumbered. But you just gotta go out and sing about the, bless the Lord, His mercy endureth forever. Bless the Lord, His mercy. Now, He's not rebuking. You don't have to rebuke the devil. You don't have to yell at any spirits. Just lift up the name that's above every name. Bless Him and praise Him and honor Him. And oh, when He sees that and He begins to smile upon that and He begins to draw next to that, whoa, the enemy is. Next week. We're going to see how music ministers. We're going to see how music is an instrument in which we minister both to God and to man. Obviously, it ministers to the Lord. That's why the Bible instructs us to sing praises to God, to worship Him with all that is within us. It blesses the Lord. It pleases the Lord. It exalts the Lord. But it also ministers to people. Oh, when there's an anointing upon a song, it builds up and encourages our hearts. It refreshes us. It comforts us. Whether it's someone singing a beautiful solo, and how many times I hear someone that can really sing, sing, How Great Thou Art. My Lord, you're ready to scream as you get the vision of the greatness of your God. Your faith is stirred. Fire comes into your soul. Or when we're singing as a congregation, Great is thy faithfulness. And here you are. You begin to sing, and you minister to Him. Next thing you know, He's ministering to you as you begin to think of all the things He brought you through and all the times He came through for you. There is power and anointed music. It ministers to God and it ministers to man. And sometimes we just begin to sing about the goodness and the mercy of the Lord. We're blessing Him and He starts blessing us. Hallelujah! Instrument. And lastly, we're going to look at, it has, I call it a thermostat effect. Don't be a thermometer. Be a thermostat. You're the head of the house. Learn to be a thermostat, not a thermometer. Walk in that grace where you are the one that will affect the temperature and the climate. You're not just going to mirror whatever is. Woo! 
worship and praise. More than just an emotional feeling, a real spiritual reality. It has a thermostat-like function. It affects the atmosphere, the climate, the temperature. It welcomes, it attracts, it invites, and it pleases God to come in a closer way, to a richer way, to increase His manifest presence in our midst. For example, when James says, draw nigh unto God and He will, one of the ways we draw nigh is by praising Him, entering those gates with thanksgiving, entering those courts with praise. As we draw near, He draws near. So there is a way, and one of the ways is through praise, that we can actually get a richer presence of God in our midst. And it could be in the sanctuary, it can be in your home, it can be in the car. Glory be to God. I know a lot of people go on trips, travel and mercies. The best way to get travel and mercies, start praising the Lord before you even hit 60. Start saying, Jesus, this is the day you have made. Go ahead, watch you don't speed my put on cruise control if you get too happy. But as we praise the Lord, it changes an atmosphere. Ha <laughs> ha! Glory be to God forevermore. That's Psalms 22. And in fact, He inhabits the praises of His people. Where certain things grieve and quench the Spirit. The image of a dove. That dove is a sensitive thing. Amen? And the Bible uses that dove as a picture of the Holy Ghost. Very sensitive. A lot of things grieve the Spirit. You can't be fighting and bickering and yelling at each other all day long and wonder why the house don't have peace and joy. But when there's love and we lift up Jesus and we encourage one another, oh, the Holy Spirit says, ah, you, you ever go somewhere and you just felt out of place? And you were counting the seconds you can get out of here. Amen? How fast can I have a, a nice reason to excuse myself? I don't carry a cell phone all that much, but sometimes I say, Lord, I wish I had one. It would ring right now. No? And then you're still all lying. Amen? I have an altar call for you. You know that's true. There are certain things the Bible says grieves, quenches, resists, pushes away, wounds the heart of the Spirit of God. But there's other things, and praise is one of them. A humble heart is one of them. Purity is one of them. But praise is one of the things that actually attracts. You ever say anything that attracts you? Amen. Went over the other day, went up Bowden's, and Sam had the grill going. As soon as I got out of the car, oh, I was attracted. There was a fragrance. I'm going to connect this to the Spirit. You hang in there with me. Stop thinking about lunch. You've got plenty of time to eat. I'm running good right now. My clock's doing good today. Hallelujah. But there are certain fragrances. Isn't that right? Isn't that right? Certain fragrances. You know, you, you're working with a bunch of stinky men, and a lady comes by with some nice perfume. Oh, Lord. Oh, oh, oh. You know what I mean? There are fragrances that are attractive. There are fragrances that are repulsive. There are tones. There are sounds that are attractive. My, my, my oldest, he always enjoys, they, they always like the girl teachers because they're always sweet and they're always kind of put you at ease. Kind of, you know what I mean? The men are yelling. They're always in like that. There, there's sounds. There's tones that can repulse or, or, or draw us near. Our praise and worship, the Bible teaches, is one thing that actually attracts God. I want, I, I want to be attractive to God. I want my home, my church to be attractive to God. That He will draw near and He'll hang around. 
He won't just come and say, I want to go somewhere else. They're fighting. They're yelling. No, 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 no. They're, 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 they're on the other side of the moon when they're supposed to be worshiping me. I'll go somewhere where I'm wanted. Amen? Hallelujah. Praise and worship. Like a thermostat effect. Because it causes the presence of God to draw. And not just to draw, but there's more of an abiding. There's more of an abiding. You know that. There's more of an abiding. And I want God. Because in His presence, there's fullness of. In His presence, there forevermore. See, in His presence comes. And, and one thing that our praise and worship. So next week, as we look at the interesting suggestion. Here's this king that's under the discipline of God. And God is allowing the enemy to afflict him and harass him. But God's even using that to bring David into that place. But God is going to show us the power of anointed music. David's something else. He was like maybe the first Renaissance man. You know what I mean? He was a worshiper and a warrior. He'd take out Goliath, and then he'd write a beautiful song or a poem. Man, that David was something. Amen? And here we're going to see a part of David. Sometimes we forget. He was a wonderful worshiper. This great king, he could worship. And there was an anointing of music upon his life, not just an anointing to knock down giants. And he would play because the Spirit of God was on him. Isn't that right? Some people are so anointed. Man, they can hit a note on their instrument and you just... So you can be good at something and not be anointed. Another sermon for another day. The interesting suggestion, and we want to study the importance of our praise and worship. And how God will use it, how God will draw near to it, and how God will allow it to almost be a conduit that opens the door, that allows a greater measure of His presence to dwell in our marriages and in our homes and in our lives. Can you say amen? Something wonderful about lifting Him up and honoring Him and glorifying Him. And a lot of times, it's not so you're going to be rebuking everything in the world. Just lift up Jesus. Glorify His name. How great is our God. Great is Thy faithfulness. <laughs> There's power. Wonder-working power in the blood. The devil still hates the blood. I mean, we rejoice and we say, and something happens in the heavenly realms. And we got, uh, we got, that's all next week. Next week, we will expound the interesting suggestion and the power of our praise. But this morning... Saul's moods and David's music. Saul's moods. And I pray that we would learn from King Saul. God loves us so much, he puts this in the book. A lot of people who have written the book, they take all the negative out. But God in his mercy, I'll keep the negative in as warnings, as lessons to know what to avoid. And King Saul started off great. He had privilege. He had experience. But yet, he started disobeying God. And he never got serious about repenting and making it right. And after a while, it had just so snowballed that he was so out of touch that even with the great prophet Samuel speaking to him, even, you, you would think you're supposed to be God's anointed and the devil's messing with you so much like that. You, first thing, you, you think a normal person say, Lord, what have I done? You know what I mean? Have I opened a door? If I have, I want to get it right. You know what I mean? Before I start you know, rebuking the demon over Durant, I'm going to say, Lord, has Joe done something in his heart? Is that something here? But no. So let's learn from Saul and be quick to respond. Not to reject when the Lord is dealing with us. Lord God, keep us tender. That's a good prayer to pray. We start our day, Lord, keep us tender. Keep us willing 
to say yes to the Spirit of God. But secondly, let's learn from David. And let each one of us be alert to the opportunities to be used of God to lift others up. To be that instrument. Because there's a lot of people that have come into that place where they're oppressed, they're harassed, they're hurting. But we that are walking with God, we are the temples of the Holy Ghost. We are His ambassadors. We are His instruments. And if we'll be alert, God will bring us to places where we could speak a word of hope to someone that's giving up, where we could pray a prayer that would break an oppression that's harassing and messing with a life. Hallelujah. As we close, if you would like prayer, please come and we'll pray for you. Or if you would just like to seek the Lord and wait on God, please do. But let's stand and let's close with a word of prayer and of worship. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Next week, the interesting suggestion, the power of our praise and the music that ministers. Heavenly Father, we love you. And Lord, we thank you for your word. You have given us positive and negative examples, things to imitate, things to avoid. And you've done that because you love us. And Lord, I don't want to lose my crown. I don't want to be guilty of having a good two-thirds of a life of faith and then fizzling out at the end. But Lord, I want to stay strong the whole way. And I want to stay tender, Lord. It's so easy, Lord, maybe to let something sink into your heart and then begin to excuse it. But Lord, you love us. And when you convict us or you speak to us, deal with us about something, it's because you're a loving Heavenly Father that sees the danger and you're trying to keep us from harm. Help us, Lord, to be quick to respond, to be quick to say, Lord, forgive me when I miss it. Lord, I'm sorry. Lord, I'll change. So that your grace will not be grieved in our lives, but will stay strong and will expand. Now, Father, we thank you for the instructions in this story. Help us to understand and apply these lessons to our lives. And as we open the altars to seek you and to praise you, may lives be deeply touched by your compassion and your mercy, by the power of your Holy Spirit. Oh God, we thank you. You are a God of new beginnings. And your mercies are great and they're new every morning. Keep us tender. Keep us sincere that we might finish strong and we might be the ones you've called us to be. In Jesus' name and all God's people said, let's sing this one time through. And if you need to pray or if you need prayer, you'd like prayer, come on and we'll believe God together. Amen.